One of the most fascinating and magnificent organs on the body is the ear. Uh, the ear is an amazing organ. It has three parts. It has an outer part, a middle ear, and an inner ear. The outer is made of cartilage draped over with flesh. And if you ever run a Q-tip around your ear, it's circular or oval, and sound travels in and goes through the middle of the ear and runs into the eardrum, which kind of looks like a little drum. And it vibrates and sends sig signals to fluid. Really, your ear is in charge of your balance and your hearing. Uh, I've got a little short explanation of what goes on when you, when you listen. It says the sound waves travel from the outer ear in through the auditory canal causing the eardrum to vibrate. This, in turn, causes the three bones known as the ocelles, or the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup, in the middle of the ear to move. The vibration move via the oval window through the fluid of the cochlea, and the inner ear stimulates thousands of tiny hair cells. Let me get you a picture of it. There it is. This results in the transformation of the vibrations into electrical impulses, finally perceived by the brain as sound. Didn't know all that was going on as you were listening to the sound of my voice, deciphering what I'm saying. But there's one thing an ear cannot do. An ear cannot hear something that's not spoken or said. Now I know there's a thing we do called selective hearing, where we hear what we want. I was watching a coach from Temple, had a, a young man, not physically jacked up against the building, but he was in the kid's face on the side of the gym, trying to instruct him in whatever the problem was. And I could tell from a long way away, that kid wasn't listening to a word that coach said. Because he had his face away from the coach, and he was like this. The coach was over here. My thought was, coach, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your breath. Either take your hand and jerk that kid's face and have him look in the eye. But you might, he might still not be listening. You know, the Lord never wastes breath or time or energy until we're ready to hear. He never says anything to us unless he, he has our attention. little word to parents, grandparents, all of us who deal with young people, don't talk to them when they're not listening. You're wasting everyone's time. Everyone. When you got their attention, you'll know you'll have their attention, you'll have their eyes, you'll have their responses, and then by all means, speak your mind. But the Lord has a certain way about him that, quite frankly, I don't understand, and we see it in today's passage. He never talks to us if we're not listening. And if we don't ask his counsel, many times, he doesn't give his counsel. It's fascinating. Go with me to Joshua, if you will. Joshua, we left off in chapter 9. Verse 14, <clears throat> chapter 9, verse 14. 
This is the tricky Gibeonites. These are, this is a tribe of people that deceived Israel and uh, just flat out lied to them. They told them we are from a long way off and we want to make peace with you when really the Gibeonites were in Israel, in Canaan land, and should have been killed and destroyed. But they're smart. They're smart. And they had great faith in God, you'll see in a minute, and they came and deceived the Israelites. Well, notice in verse 14, so the men Israelites took some of the provisions. They looked over their old bread and old wine and old clothes, and then that terrible statement in the end of verse 14, they did not ask counsel from the Lord. That's, you could camp on that and talk about that for a long time. They got messed up. They would eventually, right away, they would allow the Gibeonites to live and become part of their culture uh, when they were meant to be destroyed. But the thing I don't understand is, why does he let us make mistakes? You know, why doesn't he just stop us from messing it up? They weren't asking. He wasn't telling. There's a type of parent called a, I think it's called a helicopter parent. Is that what it is? I get it right? They hover. I've seen them in action. You know, everywhere the kids go, they're hovering over them. They're hovering over them. Probably goes into teenage years sometimes. too. You know, those hover. Well, I, I think you ought to hover over teenagers. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> but for little ones, I mean, every little move, everything they say, they're just hovering, 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 hovering. Helicopter parents. God's not a helicopter father. He gives us enough room to mess it up. He gives us enough room to make mistakes. Now, I think like any good parent, he's not going to let you walk off a cliff. You know, when the kids were small, I'd let them make mistakes, but I didn't let them walk out in the middle of Normandy Boulevard. So I think the Lord graciously restrains us from time to time and saves our lives. But you and I both have made terrible bad decisions that we paid for and where was he you know i brought something that i want to exhibit to you it's my my father-in-law's mr nut and uh interesting it's a nutcracker is what it is and uh i i watched him crack pecans for a lot of years on that picnic table in the screen in porch and i got a pecan here. Now, pecan, that doesn't do you a bit of good right there, you know. I'm, it's just, you're not going to eat it like that because it's got a hard outer shell. So it sits in here and you adjust the distance and we'll give this thing a try and, and see if it'll... Oh, yeah. Two things. The pecan is old and rusty and there's no shells. There's no nut in it. But <laughs> I'm disappointed. And number two, I had the, uh, the hammer a little too far in and destroyed the nut. So there goes the illustration. <laughs> should have brought a second nut is what I should have done. We got a hard outer shell. We're stubborn, aren't we? We want to do it our way and nobody can tell us anything and the Lord can't tell us anything and... And I'm telling you, through circumstances, he cracks all that stuff, doesn't he? He cracks us down. Because the good meat's inside, isn't it? Where he wants to get to is our hearts and our lives. 
He wants to get us to a place where we're so knee-jerk reaction that when things come into our lives, we stop and say, well, let's ask the Lord. Let's ask counsel of the Lord. Well, let's go on in the story. Verse 15. So Joshua made peace with them. Terrible mistake. He should have killed them, and he's making peace with the enemy. He made a covenant with them to let them live. He wasn't alone, notice, and leaders of the congregation swore to them. Huh. I paused long enough to tell you that sometimes within leadership, mistakes are made. It almost creates a group numbing. I don't think Joshua was, was this way, but there are leaders who are very dictatorial and, and very intimidating, and no one on the staff wants to challenge something they say or want to do. And here you have this group who, they all kind of go along with it. And they compromise. Okay. Notice verse 16. At the end of three days, after they made a covenant with them, they heard that they were neighbors and that they lived among them. Someone has said a lying tongue is but for a moment. Doesn't take long, does it? Three days, man, a lie's out. A lying tongue is but for a moment, but truth is the daughter of time. Truth will last forever, but a lying tongue is quickly found out. Notice the reaction, verse 17. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now, their cities were Gibeon and Sheriffoth and, and Beroth and Kariath Jeron. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Now let's stop right there and talk about these Gibeonites. What are they? Who were they? They weren't a weak people. In fact, in the next chapter, when the five kings of the other parts of Israel discovered that the Gibeonites had made a deal with Israel, the little commentary said this, that these cities of the Gibeonites were royal cities. And that the men were warriors. So this wasn't a mamby-pamby city of weaklings who just decided to go the weak way. They were warriors. These were royal cities. And yet, they made a decision. And on their part, it was smart. And it exhibited faith in God. You'll see that in just a minute. Now, when Israel entered the land and God was marching through that land and Jericho fell and Ai fell, you have two different reactions. You have all these other kings who are going to mount up a battle force against them, and you got the Gibeonites compromise, or not comp- bringing a peace treaty, deceiving, okay? Because they believed the God of Israel. Someone has said the same sun softens the wax, hardens the clay. The same sun that softens wax, hardens clay. And the message of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel softens the heart and hardens the heart of others. But you have these Gibeonites, and here they are, 
royal cities, warriors, if you will. And notice the story goes on, verse 19. Of the last part of verse 18, I love this. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. They should have. They should have murmured against them. There's a time to murmur. This is bad leadership. Leadership let Israel down. And they murmured. Notice the backpedaling. Verse 19. But all the leaders said to all the congregation. Notice now they're a unified group. All the leaders said to everybody. Got their story straight. We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And now we may not touch them. What's going on? You have two different attacks from Satan. I want you to see this under underlying attack from from the enemy to the camp of Israel because he does the same to us. You have the kings that are going to come to battle. They're in your face. They're the roaring lion who seeks to devour whatever he can. But then you have the other strategy of the enemy, the deceitful, deceitful serpent who sneaks in. You have the frontal assault And you have the back assault through the Gibeons. Now, the deceitful of smart on the Gibeons, dumb on Israel. But the plan of Satan was that they make a covenant. Watch this. And then they'll break the covenant. And they'll lose their testimony and strength within the land. See? Make a covenant with the enemy. And then when it's discovered, notice what Israel does right now. We can't touch them. Psalm 15.4 says that an honorable man swears to his hurt and keeps it. In other words, an honorable man, when he makes a covenant, if he realizes it was a bad deal, he goes forward with it. He doesn't back off his word. What he says he will do, he will do. Whether it's to his detriment or not. We've had a great contract with Temple over here over the years. We just signed another 10-year contract with him last year. But there have been a few occasions where we sign, I signed on the line and there were things within the contract I wish I had different, done differently. But we kept our word to Temple and whatever we said in that contract, we did. That's what you do. Because the enemy wants to destroy our testimony. You know, you know one of the unsafest bets for businesses is churches? Because they don't pay their bills. Do you know that? Don't ever loan money to a plumber, painter, and preacher. The three P's. I want you to know our church pays their bills, and they pay, we pay them all. We got two doors on the educational wing a couple weeks ago, and the next day I was on the phone with a credit card paying for our doors. Be people of our word. If we have a contract and it doesn't work out, keep the contract. Keep your word. Do what you said. Be where you should be when you should be. That's called a testimony. And notice 
It goes on, he says in verse 20, this, <laughs> this we will do, let them live, lest wrath be upon us. See, when you've given your word, the Lord's involved in that. Because of the oath that we have swore them. And the leader said, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. So that's kind of a, kind of a, a gimme to Israel. They're going to cut your wood and they're going to draw your water. Okay, we got free slaves. They enslaved them. You needed water for all the cleansing of the temple. You needed wood cut for all the offerings. This is heavy work. You know, we got minions now that are running around taking care of all our tough work, our heavy work, digging a driveway. You got, you got extra people doing all this kind of stuff. So the congregation said, well, it isn't the right, you know, but here it is. Let's, let's go forward. Notice verse 22. Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, it's <laughs> so funny. Why did you deceive us? a stupid question to ask. That's just a stupid question. Why did you deceive us? Answer, we didn't want to die. You got your life on the line here because you as Gibeonites, you have decided that the God who destroyed Jericho, the God who defeated Ai is coming for you. So to save my life, I'm going to do anything. Why did you deceive it reminds me of a parent who asked the child, why did you do that? Dumbest question you can ever ask a kid. Never ask a kid why you did something. Number one, you're not going to get the right answer. Number two, they did it because they were sinful. That's why they did it. Never try to get to the bottom of two siblings fighting. You'll never get the right answer. My strategy as a grandfather is just whip them both. That's all, just whip them both. Create a, create a common enemy. See, create a common enemy, and then they're like, it's us against him now, so let's get along. And by the way, when you spank both of them, you always find out who did it, because one of them's looking at you like, this ain't right. <laughs> yeah, I got Benny and Landon about eight months ago, and after I, I spanked both of them, uh, Landon was looking at me like, this is wrong. So I, <laughs> so I knew. Why did you deceive us, saying, we are very far from you when you dwelt among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed. Well, let's think about that. Were they cursed? Number one, they got to live. Okay, they didn't die. Number two, they were going to tilt water and cut wood for the house of God. I think there's a psalm that talks about Blessed are those who come into the courts of the Lord. They're going to be in the presence of Jehovah God working in the temple. You call that cursed? I'd rather be a live slave than a dead Gibeonite, wouldn't you? I'd rather, I'd rather work in Jehovah's temple than, than serve the pagan gods of Canaanite any day. But I guess maybe Joshua wanted to say it for the people, say it for them, say it so it sounded good. You are cursed. And some of you, I don't know why he says some of you, some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of woods and drawers of water for the whole house of my God. Now look what they answer. 
There are many times in Scripture that the faith of the pagans is greater than the faith of God's people. You know that? It's a lot of times pagans believe in the God of Israel more than Israelites ever did. They answered Joshua, verse 24, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and we did this thing. Beautiful. They feared the Lord. They trusted, they believed that God was going to actually give them the land, and they came and placed their faith. Matthew Henry has this to say about the Gibeonites, and I love this quote. Henry says this, They consider that God's sovereignty was incontestable, that his justice was inflexible, that his power was irresistible, and therefore they tried his mercy. That's good, isn't it? I can't resist him. His power is irresistible. His justice is inflexible. I cast myself on mercy. And God spared their lives. Smart Gibeonites. Can't justify their lying, but they're alive, aren't they? They remind me of Rahab. Rahab lied, but she lied because she believed God. And her and her house were saved. Let's finish the story. Verse 25. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. There are times to cast yourself on the mercy of folks. There are times on the way to judgment to beg forgiveness. There are times in the workplace, in, in there are times the policeman pulls you over. It's never worked for me, but there's times. I got in trouble with a boss. I know it's surprising at the post office one time. I think he half told me to come in to work an off day, and I didn't do it. It was years ago. And I came in the following day, and he said, Gail, I'm going to write you up. I'm going to get you in a lot of trouble for this. And uh, disobeying a direct order. And I thought about it, and I came back to him, and I said, boss, I said, you know, you're right. I heard you tell me to work. I didn't work. I fall on your mercy. Do, do whatever, whatever you want. He looked at me, put his head down, and he said, just forget about it. Just forget about it. He never did a thing. There's times when you make a mistake, mess up, you just, you just throw yourself on the mercy of the court. Most people have a heart. Did you notice that? Most people have compassion if you give them a chance. Now, if you're a student and you haven't done the schoolwork, forget that with any good teacher. Anyway. So I throw that in. Got teachers in here. Verse 26. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. Do you know how easy that would have been? Think about it. You got all these Gibeonites. You got five cities. Just go kill everybody. Wipe out all five cities. See, what, 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 if, you, if you wipe out everybody, nobody gets out the word to the other Canaanite kings that you went back on your word. 
You can always justify this stuff in your mind. Let's just surround the five cities. They weren't big cities. Destroy them all. Then nobody knows. But you notice he said, lest wrath be upon us. You can cover all that stuff, but God still knows. You can cover it all. You can cover your tracks. One lie leads to another lie, then leads to another lie. But ultimately, if you cover all your tracks, God still knows. And things don't go well. They don't. Scripture says you reap, we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Grace doesn't take away that principle. Do you know that? It doesn't. All right, verse 27. But Joshua made them cutters, made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. David eventually assigned these Gibeonites to the Levites, and they're called uh, Nethium. That's what they were called in scriptures, which means the givers, the ones given to the Levites. Let me make one point before I do this thing behind me. They were cutters of wood and drawers of water in the courts of God. There is no menial work in the courts of God. The menial task of life are to be done to the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're a chief bottle washer. Wash as if it was unto the Lord. There are no menial jobs. When I was in the Navy, I was a cook, and um, we had mess cranks that worked for us. There was a three-month duty that when guys came on the ship, they had to come into the galley and wash dishes. And so as cooks, we'd dirty a lot of dishes, and we'd stack them up. And we had two, two Christian guys uh, faced each other. There was a sink here and a sink there, and they could look at each other. And I'm talking pan, pots and pans to the ceiling. I mean, we just mess them up and just throw them to the mess cooks to clean up. And one of the guys was so discouraged. He was a Christian. Both of them were. He was so discouraged. He looked across to his, they were poor and sweaty. He looked across to his brother and he said, man, I hate doing this stuff. This stuff is miserable. He went on and on. And he finally said, Richard, haven't you got anything to say? And Richard said, I'm just doing this. Big, big grin on his face. I'm doing this to the glory of God. Praise the Lord. And then the other guy was like, oh, God. <laughs> No encouragement at all from his brother. He was just happy to be with Jesus. Let me give you three things. Oh, by the way, let's, eh, let's not do that. We'll do that next week. Three things to guard out from. This is Joshua and their leaders, their problem. They were self-sufficient. They were sufficient within themselves to make this deal. They were sufficient within themselves to figure this stuff out and make a deal with the Gibeonites. Now, where had they just been? They had just defeated Jericho. They had a problem at Ai, but they defeated Ai. They just, they just, they just left Mount Ebel and uh, Mount Gehazen, where the law was written and the law was read. They had just left the presence of God at Shechem. They had gathered as a congregation. They had listened to the law, and yet still that self-sufficiency was still there. Now, we should be sufficient 
in many areas of life, but spiritually, we are not self-sufficient. We need his wisdom. We need Christ. Secondly, there was self-confidence. Now again, is there anything wrong with confidence? Nothing. But when you're confident in yourself in order to live the Christian life, you'll always fail. You always will. Confidence comes from the ability to do something, having the right equipment to do it. You got good equipment, you know what you're doing, you're going to work, you've got to be confident in what you do. But when it comes to living for Christ and Christ living in me, there, there can be no self-confidence in this at all. In fact, Philippians 3.3 3 says that we are those who place no confidence in the flesh. None. If God doesn't pull it off, it cannot happen. And surprise, surprise, the third self. That is self-importance. Did you notice how fast the deal went down? Gibeon show up, give a little speech, clothes are looked at, bread is crusty, but yeah, let's do it. Fast decisions aren't good decisions. Why'd they make it so fast? I believe because when they came into the land, they were a brand new nation. And here these ambassadors from some foreign nation wanted to make peace with them. And I think they were gaining their own self-importance. Self-esteem. And that's why they made the decision. 